0: God's Word uh, to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. We'll be wrapping up this book uh, this morning. Uh, if you are a guest with us, what we try to do here at Park Baptist Church is kind of work through the books of the Bible in a systematic fashion so we can allow God's Word to form and uh, to shape us. We're going to finishing up this book. It's been a wonderful study looking at the, the church of the Thessalonians. We pray we will learn even more uh, this morning. In, in, in preparation to hear God's word, we want to make sure that we humbly submit to what the word is, is saying. And we want to start by paying honor to the word and by writing our hearts. So please stand at this time as we hear God's word being read. Hear the word of the Lord, Second Thessalonians, beginning chapter 3, verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of the genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Please be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you that you are our God of peace, our God of righteousness and holiness, of justice and mercy. God, we thank you for your character that's so clearly displayed in your word and how you care for us. And yet, Father, we come into your presence knowing how we often do not reflect your character to a watching world. So, Father, we come asking that you would forgive us of our sins. Forgive us for not being peaceful. Forgive, it, forgive us for being people of uh, too often of division, allowing petty disagreements to drive our disposition and our emotions rather than your word. Forgive us, Lord, for trying to create dissension among your body. Forgive us, Lord, that, that, you would, um, that we would not be people who trust your word. Uh, forgive us, Lord, for not showing grace to those who are hurting. And God, thank you. That when we confess our sins, we know that you who are faithful and just will forgive us our sins. God, it says in your word, as we read already, that you should keep us from presumptuous sins. That you would guard the the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. That it would be pleasing to you. So God, we pray that through the the Lord Jesus Christ, through his shed blood on the cross, that you would forgive your people of their sins. Father, we, we lift up those in our congregation who are hurting. We lift up our brother Jared Tritt as he's still grieving the loss of his father this past week. Father, I pray that in the days ahead that you would just comfort him by your grace, that you would remind him day in and day out of the peace that you have offered him through Christ. We pray that you would just sustain him during these days. Father, we thank you for having Ken Tetter here with us today. We thank you so much for how you are are working healing in his body. Father, we we pray your blessing would be upon him and his family. Lord, we pray that you would continue to give him faith to to face each day, Lord, with strength and grace. Father, we thank you for, for bringing Jerry Green here and continuing to heal him from his, his cancer. We pray, God, that you would just sustain him. And Father, we pray for all those in the room who are struggling with depression, struggling with sadness, God. Father, we pray that you and your kindness would just meet them in this hour. Father, we also just pray for the preaching of your word and and across our city, we pray for Jay Hardwick this morning at North Rock Hill. God, as he preaches your word today, we pray that you would just allow those people to be formed more and more into your likeness, that they would have a healthy view of, of how to live their lives for, for you and for your glory. Father, we also just pray for uh, the, the Baptist Collegiate Ministry. We thank you so much for the opportunity we had to serve them this past week. We pray that our love and, of service, God, would just um, would bear fruit in that ministry. We pray for Jack and Carrie and their work there, God. We pray that you would continue to use them to build up your Your people. And, Father God, now we ask for uh, more grace for this hour. We pray, God, that you would quiet our hearts, that you would allow us to be receptive to your word. Father, for the next 30 minutes, God, we pray that you would speak through your servant, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in Thy sight, my Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. Dear God, I pray, Lord, that I may decrease and that you may increase. I pray that that which was prepared, God, which was prayed over would be a blessing to your people. And God, that which is um, not of you, I pray would just fall away. God, I pray that you would just sharpen your people's ears to hear your precious and holy word. So God, we ask you to come. We ask you to come by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come, speak to us, convict us of our sin, drive us to repentance. We pray, God, that you would just be gracious During this hour. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Trust is a belief that someone or something is reliable, good, honest, or effective. One of the most important questions of our society that people are asking is, can I trust God? Is... God good is he trustworthy a common question that every non-believer has to face in this life is to ask themselves of the goodness of God if God is good why is there suffering in our world if God is good why would he allow evil how do we explain that to those seekers Who are questioning God's goodness? Now They may sound like deep philosophical questions, but beloved, those are questions that we ask ourselves every single day. There are things that people in our congregation that are dealing with right now asking ourselves, is God good? Is God good in the face of death? Is God good when, when I suddenly lose my job? Is God good when my, when my health changes? Is God good when I barely have enough to eat? Is God good when I am left alone? Is God good because He won't give me victory over my sin? Is God good? These are things that people in this room are dealing with today. So these, are, these may sound like deep philosophical questions, but the reality is we all have to wrestle with the goodness of God. They're not new. They've been asked throughout the, the ages. The Thessalonians had to wrestle with the question of God's goodness. The apostles who are, who are suffering, being, being led like men to the slaughter, had to, to, to wrestle with the goodness of God. All the questions we've already mentioned are things that people here are dealing with. And yet there's going to be other questions that you're going to face in your life that you don't even know how to ask yet. So I pray this morning that you would know that whatever you're dealing with, whatever problems you're facing today, you are not alone. One of the the, the tricks of the evil one is to make you think that your problems are only your problems. Listen, your problems are, are shared among others in the room. There is more life experience, there is more pain, and there is more suffering in this room than many others across our world. Do not believe the lies that you are the only one dealing with the goodness of God. And I pray this morning that you would grow in your trust, that you would grow in your trust in God's goodness, and that He would be, allow you to see in a new way how good He really is. If you want to see, follow along in the outline provided for you, you can see the first point is we want to trust God's eternal peace, trusting God's eternal peace. As you remember, as, we, as we're looking at this letter, we have to first look back at, at what Paul has already addressed in, in this letter, uh, because as, he, as he's closing, I think the only way we can really understand how he ends this letter is to look back and figure out wh- where this letter began. So if you turn back and look at chapter one, look at verse four of chapter one, it says, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. This Thessalonian church was under harsh persecutions the Jews in that area rose up and they, they went to the government leaders and they said, these Thessalonians are causing havoc in the empire. So that they were persecuted, both physically and with fines. We see there in chapter 2, what happened was, is there was a group of people in the church that was teaching false doctrine. Look at 2, verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and and are being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord had already come. There was a group of people within the church teaching false doctrine. They were saying that the day of the Lord had already come. You may have missed. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that caused people's faith to be shaken, to be greatly uh, alarmed. Then you turn to chapter 3 and you see, as we looked at several weeks ago now, how there were some within the congregation who were lazy. They, they were idle. Instead of giving, working to give to the body, what they were doing is that they were leeching from others. So the money and the resources, rather than being used to, to lift people up, they were being taken for themselves. They were causing division and dissension within God's church. And Paul says, have nothing to do with them. So we, we get to, to this last section. That, that's important to understand because I think verse 16, scholars debate on this, whether verse 16 should be tied to verses 6 through 15 about church discipline or it should be tied to the conclusion of the letter, the benediction. I think it's fitting for the whole entire letter. So wherever you want to place it, I think that we all need to hear God's peace. Verse 16 is called a wish prayer. It's a wish prayer. This is what God is going to ask of the Thessalonian church. And I think it's important to remember that every letter in the New Testament was written by a specific person to a specific people in a specific time facing specific issues. This letter was written to a people who were dealing with stuff. The same thing in, in our day, if, if there was a letter written, as we looked at on Wednesday, night, if there was a letter written to our church, it would be very specific to our issues in our time. And yet, what does Paul pray in all these, in all these things that the church is dealing with? He is going to ground the Thessalonians in the hope... Of the gospel. In the very character and nature of God. Look at what he says in verse 16. It says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way. The Lord be with you all. So Paul describes the Lord by a characteristic that defines his character. Peace. When I do a a funeral, I, I visit with the family, and every time I visit with that family, things are just kind of talked about. And when you, when you if you listen well to a family when they're grieving, the same things tend to kind of pop up. So if, if if a person was very gracious, that the graciousness of that person is just kind of popped up again and again. Well, when you when you think about the the character of God, who God is, how God has chosen to reveal Himself in His Word the word peace is coming up again and again. He is the God of peace. Romans 15.33, Hebrews 13.20, Philippians 4, eight and 9. This God, he's the God of peace. So what does this characteristic of God being peaceful, what does that mean? What is Paul try, trying to, to get at? What does it mean for, for us? Well, I think that primarily God is called a God of peace, is because God is the one who brought us peace. He's the one who brought us peace through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So right here at the end of the letter, Paul wants to to grasp all the problems facing the Thessalonian church in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I would say to you this morning, whatever you're dealing with today, whatever you're struggling with, God wants you to, to have all, look at all your problems in light of the gospel of peace. That's what I believe the Lord would have for you this morning. The wrath of God plays a prominent role in the New Testament. So you see that in Jesus' ministry, you see that in Paul's ministry, and you especially see it in First and 2 Thessalonians. The wrath of God is coming. His furious Anger directed at sin and sinners is coming. Now, if you are here today and you are not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that there's going to come a day when we will face the wrath of God. It is coming for everyone who does not know Christ. It'll come like a thief in the night, it'll come suddenly like the labor pains upon a pregnant woman. In Ephesians chapter 2, Verses 1 through 3. Listen to what the wrath of God says. The word says about the wrath of God. It says that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out our out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. What Paul's saying here is that every human being, when they are, are born into this world, are by nature object of God's wrath. Which means that by our very nature we are sinners. You don't have to teach a child to disobey. It is within a child. They are under God's wrath because of their rebellion and sin. God's wrath is our greatest problem. The greatest problem that we will ever face in this world is the wrath of God against sinners. So how do we deal with God's wrath? How do you deal with God's wrath? Well, here's the the key question. The reality is, is that we can't. We can't deal with God's wrath. That's why Christ came. Christ came to take God's wrath for us. It says that he, he drank the cup of God's wrath. He satisfied it in the cross. God sent one to make peace. So we read how God made peace specifically in Colossians 1. through It says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, meaning that Jesus Christ was fully God, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. The Lord Himself, the Lord of peace, made peace through the blood of His cross. Now, if you read everywhere else in Paul's letter, you see the God of peace, the God of peace. But here is the only place in the New Testament where Paul says, the Lord of peace. And I think what Paul's doing here, he's trying to, to highlight Jesus Christ. He's trying to make you think of what Jesus Christ specifically did for you. And we know that all the way through Thessalonians, this Jesus is the one who is going to deliver us from the wrath to come because he's already taken it upon the cross. You were once an enemy, but now you have been, been brought near to the blood of Christ. He made peace for you. And after Jesus Christ died, taking the cup of God's wrath, God raised him from the dead, giving hope for every believer. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will also experience that resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the declaration to the world that if you want to escape God's wrath... You now can through Christ. His peace is upon us. He's the God of peace. He's the Lord of peace because he made peace for us. So before we move on, do you know that peace? Do you know the peace of God? The only way to experience peace with God is through Jesus Christ is the only source of true peace. So as Paul is concluding this letter to the church, he wants to remind them that whether you face intense persecutions, whether you face false teaching, or whether you face the idol in the church, those who are causing division, you need to do it all under the peace of Christ. He wants to remind them that God brought them peace. Your greatest need has already been accomplished through the cross. He wants to kind of put your life in perspective. I know for me that when I look at my problems, sometimes the problems get big. I'm sure the same with you. If you you stare at your problems, the problems will get big. But if you stare at the cross, if you stare at Jesus, Jesus will become bigger and your problems will shrink. That doesn't mean your problems are not great. But it means that we have one that is greater than your problems. Okay? That's what we need to, that's what Paul's trying to, to help this church see. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. See, the, the, the promise of the gospel is not only for them. And the promise of the gospel is for them that one day we're going to be in God's presence. But that's not the only promise of the gospel. The gospel says right here, the word says what? That God's peace will be with you in every way and at all times. Why? Because the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you today, believer. If you are in Christ, the Lord is with you. The Lord will carry you through your problems. Beloved, we are naturally prone to doubt God's goodness. We are in our natural state. When things go wrong in our life, we are naturally want to turn to the Lord and say, "Why? If you are good, if you love me, why are you allowing this to happen? Whatever this is." And beloved, this will change as you as you go through different seasons of your life. It may be someone that you love walked away from you. It may be your health is fading. But trust me, those days are going to come. But in that day, in those moments, what God wants you to remind you of is that your greatest problem has already been solved. And he will carry you through. One of my favorite verses um, is Romans eight, thirty one and thirty two. Uh, Miss Mary Sanford is not here today. Uh, Miss Mary has made it a point uh, this, uh, at the end of her life that she is going to read the Bible through through for every year. She's going to read the entire Bible every year. And she saw me at the end of uh, 2016. And she says, Pastor, I finished my Bible. I'm going to start again, but I just want you to know that I finished my Bible. And you know, Miss Mary, she's so sweet. And then she said, but you know my favorite chapter? Romans 8. My favorite chapter is Romans 8. And this is what Romans 8, 31 and 32 say. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us. Who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Did you hear that? He did not spare His own Son, but He gave Him up for us all. How will He not graciously with Him give us all things? things. This is our God. He's a God who's made peace. He's a God who's given us hope. And seeing God's goodness towards us, I pray you'll have strength to persevere whatever you're dealing with. Whatever that is causing you to doubt the goodness of God. And beloved, we must always remember that we are Christ's ambassadors here on earth. We represent Jesus to a watching world. And if God is a God of peace, then we are to be a people of peace. The Bible says, "Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children, sons, and daughters of God." So, are we a congregation of of peace? On Son, on Wednesday, beginning to teach First Timothy, I said, "If Paul was going to write a letter to our church, what would he say?" So we had we had a chance after the service to ask that question, have a couple conversations with. People, you know. So if Paul was writing Park Baptist Church, what were, what were the issues that he would he would address? And just, just speaking to a couple members, this is what they told me. Here's what I think that Paul would address to our church: that that occasionally we value traditions over scriptures. We sometimes struggle with a lack of desire for unity among generations. Sometimes we have a greater love for certain styles, both of dress and worship, than for people. Sometimes there is a great impatience for greater change. And sometimes there is a disrespect or unwillingness to submit to leadership. Now, there could be other things that we would say. There's other things that I would add personally But these are things that people who are in our congregation, who are watching, who are are looking at how things are flowing among our congregation, that's what they they see. Are we a congregation of peace? We represent Jesus Christ. So the, the question we all need to ask ourselves is how am I contributing to disharmony among our body? Is there anything in my life, is there anything in my demeanor that is contributing to disharmony among the body? And if there is, you need to repent. Turn from that and strive for unity. So not only do we ask it negatively, we also ask it positively. How can I work for peace? What can I do in my life today to work for the peace of our congregation? If Jesus Christ has shown us His peace, willing to lay down His life, so that we can have peace with God? What am I willing to lay down to have peace within our congregation? That's a question we all ask. If we all ask and we all do it, what would what our congregation be like? The problems we're facing today would not be the problems we face tomorrow, beloved. But rest assured, we will face problems tomorrow. We will face, face things corporately in the life of our body. We will face things individually in the life of our own families. That may cause you to doubt God's goodness. There may be things that cause you to feel overwhelmed. To slowly drift from seeing the peace of Christ. Know it's coming. Know that those temptations to doubt God's goodness are coming. So you know what you do? You arm yourself with the peace of God. You arm yourself by thinking of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. He will also give us all things. Trust Him. Well, not only do we see a, a trust in God's eternal peace, but we also want to see a trust in God's eternal Word. Look at verse 17. Paul wants his readers to know that this letter, the letter that he is writing, is, is true. It's genuine. It's trustworthy. Now, if you remember, the reason why that's important is because back in verse chapter 2, it says there are some who are writing letters that are deceiving the body. They are saying it's from us, but it's really not. And Paul saying, this letter I am writing with my own hand. Look at what verse 17 says. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is a sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. Now, the way letters were written in the Old Testament, a lot of times they had a scribe or, or, or a secretary. Uh, that, would, that would jot down the, the the words spoken by a by an apostle. Uh, we don't know if who paul's scribe was, but it would have been clear that here there would probably have been a, a change in in the in the signature. It would have been clear that paul 's handwriting, his mark would be on this this letter. Everyone would know that this was a genuine letter. Now, I think it's important because when we read the New Testament, the New Testament was the letters to the churches. They based everything upon these letters. They lived by them, right? They they were fresh, they were new, but they were the very word of of God. Uh, The Apostle Peter says uh, in his second epistle, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, let me read. It says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul, who also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. So he says, according to what Paul has written, listen to Paul. And then listen to what Peter says. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. The Bible sometimes is hard to understand, according to the Bible. He says, some things are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. The way the early church viewed these letters were the very word of God. Now, if you understand how important the word of God was to a Jew, these Jewish believers who came to Christ, calling these letters the very word of God would have been monumental. I don't have time to unpack it now, but the New Testament is so reliable. The, the New Testament has faced more challenges by scholars in our day than any other book ever written, and it has stood the test of time. Any other book written um, by Homer, Iliad, and Odyssey, there is no question that, of its veracity, no question that it is true. And the Bible has so much more, so much more Uh, manuscripts, so much more details that that prove it's truth. All I'm trying to get at is do not let anyone let you believe that this is not a true representation of God's Word to His people. It is true. Hold fast to it. These letters were not mere suggestions. They were commands handed down by the Apostles carried along by the Holy Spirit. And beloved, we want To trust God's Word. Now, when we look at the Scriptures, we're not going to see details on everything that we face in this world. We're not going to see details on how how do we deal with embryonic stem cell research. How do we deal with with the the growth in social media or the movement of tectonic plates in our our day. We're not going to get all the details here. But the Bible has everything, hear me, the Bible has everything we need for life and godliness. So it is my prayer that every single member of our church would be in a community, whether that's a a Sunday school class or a community group or a one-on-one, one-on-two discipleship group, that you would be in the Word with each other. Because this is the way we are formed. We are formed with the Word of God going forth on Sunday morning, going forth on Wednesday night, going forth on Sunday night, that we're being formed and shaped to say, yes, Lord, what will you have us do? How can we be obedient? But how do you work that out is in conversations with each other. So that you can help grow in understanding what this word is, Hebrews 4:12 and 13. It says this: For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. We will all give an account to God. It's best to know what we will give an account for. And that's in God's word. Well, let me close with this last point. Trusting God's eternal grace. Trusting God's eternal grace. Paul's last word of the letter should be a favorite word of all believers. It says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Grace is unmerited favor. It is a free gift. We do not deserve God's grace, and yet He gives it to us. God gives Himself. God gives us peace. God gives us His Word. God loves to give good gifts to His children. All good gifts come down from the the Father of heavenly lights. Everything good comes from His hand. Now, if you read Paul's letters, this is a customary ending. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Except here, there's one additional word. It says, all. All. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. I'm reminded that even those who were walking in a way that was contrary to the gospel, God wanted them to experience grace. These people who were walking in in idleness and were, were taking from the church, rather than giving to it, God says, I I want them to experience grace. Beloved, if we live righteous lives, it is because of, our, because of grace. If people turn from sin, it's because of grace. If, if God allows unity to be in our church, it's because of grace. If God allows growth in our church, it's because of grace. All that we have is because of grace. And if you are able to see the goodness of God, if you are able to see the peace that God offers through Jesus Christ, it is of grace. That's why I love that last song that we sang tonight, right? I will not boast in anything. No wisdom. No power. Why should I gain from Christ's reward? Why should I gain? The simple matter is we shouldn't. We shouldn't grade. And yet, Christ has given Himself for us. Let me read with close with a a quote from Charles Spurgeon during his ministry he said sometimes I wonder that you do not get tired of my preaching because I do nothing but hammer away at this one nail with me it is year after year none but Jesus oh you great saints if you have outgrown the need of a sinner's trust in the Lord Jesus you have outgrown your sins but you have also outgrown Your grace. Your saintship has ruined you. Beloved, you will never outgrow your need to hear God's grace. Whatever you are facing today, you need to remember your need of Jesus Christ. Jesus is standing ready to save you. Come to Jesus and doubt no more. Let us be the kind of people who hammer away at that one nail. None but Jesus. None but Jesus. Let us trust the eternal peace of Jesus, the eternal Word of Jesus. And oh, beloved, let us trust the eternal grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, let the heartbeat of our congregation be nothing but Jesus. Let us look to his peace. Let us look to his word. Let us look to his grace. Father, I pray that we would reflect your character, that we would be a congregation full of peace, knowing that you have brought us peace. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who are struggling today struggling with doubt of your goodness. God, I pray that by your grace you will allow them to see that you have already solved their greatest problem by making peace the blood of your cross. Help them see their problems in light of the gospel. Magnify their minds of your goodness. You who did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all, You will also graciously, through Jesus, give us all things. Let that thought marinate in our minds and hearts today, tomorrow, and for the rest of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Beloved, every time the word of God is spoken, uh, it demands a response. Today it's a simple one. Do you trust God? Do you trust God, do you trust that God would have His way with you? I pray wherever the Lord is leading by the power of His Holy Spirit that you would respond to Him. If you want to respond up here by coming and, and bowing on your knees, asking God to forgive you, asking God to help you have peace, then do so. During this last song, if you want to stay seated and, and call out to God, do so. If you, during this last song you want to stand and you want to belt out in song to have thine own way, Lord, in my life, do so. But whatever you do, respond to God for His glory and for our good.